Joining us now is the man who was signed by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1960. He would make his Major League debut four years later and join the team permanently in 1966. He won 18 games in 1968. From 1969 to 1972, he won 60 games with a career-high 19 victories in 1972. In that season, he made the National League All-Star team and was a runner-up for the National League Cy Young Award. He starred in the 1971 World Series against the Baltimore Orioles, pitching two complete game wins, allowing seven hits and two earned runs in 18 innings. It is a pleasure to welcome the man who retired from broadcasting this past week after 60 years with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization as a player and a broadcaster. It is a pleasure to welcome a pirate for life, Steve Lass. Welcome, Steve. Yeah, good evening. That's uh, quite a resume. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's all yours. It is quite a resume. You're right. Uh, it's interesting yeah. because you grew up in a rural town in Connecticut, but somehow you grew up a Cleveland Indians fan. Can you tell us how that happened? Well, yeah, uh, it, it sounds a little bit uh, like a, a, a fable of sorts, but uh, I was uh, the oldest of, uh, of five kids, so I had to kind of initiate my own games, even when I played Cowboys and Indians. I rooted for the Indians somehow. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it sounds kind of funny, but it, it carried over to my fascination with the Cleveland Indians. And uh, uh, in 1954, when they won 111 games, uh, had a fabulous season, only to get defeated uh, for nothing but New York by the New York Giants. I kept a scrapbook of every game they played in, in, in uh, rural Connecticut, yeah, Falls Village, Connecticut. And, you know, there was no instant news back then, so I had to wait, you know, maybe a day or two before I got the previous uh, game that the Indians played, but I kept it and still have a scrapbook of every, played, uh, every game they played uh, to the point where I could name you their starting lineup right now. But uh, we, haven't, we haven't got time for that. But, uh, yeah, I was obsessed with the Indians to the point, point where the first guy I ever bought was a Pontiac because there was Chief Pontiac. <laughs> Wow. So, yeah. so, so if, if you like the 1954 Indians and you want to be a pitcher, which of their pitchers did you most like? Were you most, was your favorite well, pitcher? Well, oh, my, my all-time hero was Herb Score. Uh, he was just coming up through the Indians' chain. And, of course, they had the big three, Wynn, Lemon, and Garcia, who were 20-game yeah. winners in 1954. But uh, Herb Score fascinated me because he was uh, such a fireball. You know, he was a power guy. So uh, he was my man. So, so if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, I believe that you actually got a chance to pitch against Herb Score when Herb was trying to make his comeback in the minors. Is that correct? That's correct, and that was really weird because he was uh, after he got hurt, injured by a, a line drive off the bat of Gil McDougal by the Yankees, oh. which kind of you know stopped his career in a, in a sense. And he was trying to make a comeback. He pitched for Indianapolis in the Indians chain, and I was at Columbus, and I actually pitched again. It was really almost creepy. <laughs> uh, and I was on the way up, and he was trying to come back. And uh, I had a chance to meet him face-to-face -face finally at a, at a sports banquet up in uh, northern Pennsylvania, up in uh, Bradford, Pennsylvania, and uh, told him the whole story. And uh, if, I, I, it was it kind of a it was kind of closure, I guess, in a way. I guess I, guess I got a chance to meet him then. That's got to be pretty cool, the, the guy you grew up idolizing, to actually get a chance to pitch a professional game against him. I have to imagine that that's got to be right up there in a, a lot of your thrills over your career. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that uh, was it was it was neat in a way. It was weird in a way. And uh, yeah, I hope that I beat him. I, I 
you know, because I was trying to get to the big leagues. But I can't remember the details of the game. I, I just remember it was a, a significant moment, if you will. So it's interesting because the Pirate Scout, Bob Wellen, signed you right out of high school in 1960. You mentioned you, your favorite team was the Cleveland Indians. They offered you a, a $2,500 bonus, but they wanted you to wait till the next spring training to start. So how tough of a decision was it for you to not wait and play for the team that you grew up loving as opposed to signing right away with the Pirates? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely wanted to play for the Indians. And then the Pirates came along and said, we'll give you four grand instead of 2500 from the uh, Indians, and you can play right away. I said, give me a pen. <laughs> <laughs> Let me sign somewhere. Uh, so, yeah, that... Uh, that uh, that was a pretty easy decision for me to make. You know, it's funny, and you probably see this today as a broadcaster more so. It, as time goes on, a lot of baseball history gets talked about less and less as new performances replace others. But what you did in the 1971 World Series against an Orioles lineup, which included Boog Powell, Brooks, and Frank Robinson, was amazing. Game three, nine innings pitched, three hits allowed, one earned run, two walks, eight strikeouts. Pirates win 5-1. And then in a deciding Game 7, nine innings pitched, four hits allowed, one run, two walks, five strikeouts, and, and the, the Pirates win the World Series. Looking back at your 10-year career, which included over 100 wins, what did those two games in particular mean to you? Well, they, they defined something that I, I, I still live with today. I mean, if you're going to get hot and have two good games, why not have them in October? <laughs> Uh, so it, uh, it it's something that uh, I kind of hang my hat on, if you will. I had a good career, solid career. 100 wins is good. Yeah. But when you can top that with a couple games in a World Series against what was a tremendous team that the Orioles had, uh, it's uh, it's something that has lasted. I have a buddy who tells me you've made a great living on two uh, World Series games <laughs> in, in October, and I said, you know, well, you're pretty much right. Uh, but uh, the, the, the great thing was that the Orioles had won 100 games again. They were de- defending world champions, and they were on a 15- or 16-game winning streak by the time we got to Game 3 in the World Series. Uh, so, you know, you know, best of four or seven World Series, you cannot win. You cannot go down 3 nothing and win. Uh, and so I had the game of my life, uh, which I thought, in, in Game 3. When Bob Moose started Game six, there was nobody in Pittsburgh rooting harder for him than I was because I had my, had my moment in the sun. Uh, and, and after the last out, Danny Murtaugh looked at me and said, our manager, and said, uh, tag, you're it. So, wow. And I, I knew if it went seven, I was going to pitch the seventh game. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it, I can't say it came out of the woodwork, but it came after really getting beat up in, this, in the uh, playoffs, playoffs by the Giants. Playoffs. I started two games and it didn't go well. Right. And uh, the reason I think it didn't go, I had never pitched in postseason before. And I thought I had to elevate my game and be kind of a power guy and a better pitcher. And that's a trap. And so the Giants kind of worked me over. And that's why I didn't get to pitch in the series until game three. But uh, by that time, I kind of had a little meeting with myself and said, well, you know, you're not that kind of pitcher. Go back to being the kind of pitcher that got you to the big leagues and, and made you successful. So that was an important meeting for me to have with myself, and I finally listened and uh, had, a, had a great game in game three. And then, of course, game four was even more significant. But, you know, having two games like that in the post in the World Series and being on the mound for the seventh game, uh, that's something 
you not only hang your hat on, but something that has stayed with me for all these years. Phenomenal, phenomenal outings, those two games. You played with two of the guys who, by all accounts, were two of the greatest teammates in the games, in Willie Stodge and Roberto Clemente. What can you tell our younger listeners about those two legends and what it was like to be teammates with them? Well, it was, uh, I, I don't want to uh, make it uh, more emphatic than it than it was, but to, to have the honor of being a teammate of Roberto Clemente, who was one of the great players in Major League history and also one of the great humanitarians in base his, baseball history was uh, an honor. Uh, and, you know, when, when you go back and try to connect things, uh, how planets align, I'm a small kid from a small town in Connecticut. Clemente is from Carolina, Puerto Rico. What's the chances of us crossing paths? Uh, uh, but it happened, uh, and uh, I'm so grateful that it did because, I, I, you know, you learn a lot about a player like that because everybody in the major leagues is a great player, but there aren't too many Roberto Clementes who kind of was a notch above all of us in terms of the fact that he had such an awareness of the world around him, uh, not the world of baseball, but the world around him. Uh, and uh, it was great. Stargell and I came up through the minor leagues together, and uh, that was great because I, I, I knew him from the time we both signed. And uh, so, uh, and then Bill Mazeroski. So you've got a, a three-headed mechanism in that year, uh, a, a black guy, a white guy, and a Latino, who uh, are, are not, uh, they, they, they don't make you win, but they, they make you aware of what it is to be a champion. Uh, those three guys, and there was even a book written about that, the team that the, that changed baseball, uh, the 71 Pirates. So to be a part of all that was uh, fabulous, and to watch Clemente every day. I mean, he had the ability to take a major 10-year Major League veteran and turn him into a 10-year-old kid. You didn't want to take your eyes off him. Uh, just fascinating uh, person to watch. He played the outfield like it was choreographed. Yeah. Steve, this is A.J. Card. You were around the Pirates for 60 years. You broadcast for 30-something years. The game's changed a lot since you played, since you played with Willie Stargell, Roberto Clemente. What do you see, and now that you've retired, as the biggest change that you say is for the better, and what's the things the biggest change you say is for the worse? Well, first of all, you know, I, I, I've had 60 great years, so I, I don't want to be critical of the, the hand that fed me, but... The thing that concerns me, and we are in a world of numbers, we are in a world of analytics, that uh, it comes, I hope that they don't devour our game. Our game is uh, a lot about the stories and the legacies and, and the, the great players. So the numbers uh, are, are, and the analytics are, are very strong right now. And uh, the changes in the rules, uh, so, some of which I don't, don't believe had to be changed, like the, the the rule of home plate you used to be if you have the ball you can block home plate if you don't you can't now it's it's so blurred i don't know if everybody really comprehends what they're trying to convey i know they're trying to convey uh, a, a protection of a catcher who might be vulnerable but they changed the rule because buster posey got hurt you know for a hundred years catchers were getting bowled over and they didn't change the rule uh, in fact the way we grew up uh, one of the fascinating things was to see a catcher get bowled over and hold the umpire, uh, hold the ball up, and, and have the so the umpire could see I've still got the ball. Uh, I didn't think that needed to be changed. I thought it was quite simple. Uh, the fact that 
uh, infielders, uh, why you can't break up a double play. Well, if you get to the major leagues as a middle infielder, you should know how to get out of the way. So uh, I hope that the numbers and analytics don't devour the game because it's so. It seems like they're heading in a direction where it's uh, it's almost going to be sterilized. I mean, where are our stories going to be? So, but but on the other hand, the game is so good; it has survived successfully uh, when so much has been thrown against it. I, I think the game is going to be fine. I just am a little concerned about the analytics controlling more so than the stories we're going to be able to live with. You know, it's interesting you say that about the stories because. You're right. When you watch a broadcast, sometimes on ESPN, instead of you know telling a story, uh, you know, let's say A Rod, because he's there, instead of A Rod conveying a story about his playing days, we're going to hear how this guy you know hits ninety percent to right field and the shift and 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 the different analytics. You know, because of the Major League Baseball package and Sirius XM Radio, we get a chance to hear Pirates broadcast. And, and you tell a story that I, I was listening to one night, and it was just a great story, which, you know, if we would jam with the analytics, it might not have gotten out. So can you tell us a story about one time where you were in a bases-loaded jam and your catcher, Manny Sanguian, yeah, walks out to the, the mound and, and asks you, could you share that story with us? story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... This is uh, uh, his first catching assignment in the big leagues, like in the late 69 or 68. I've got the bases loaded, nobody out uh, in the bottom of the first inning against the Cubs. The base loaded, nobody out, and Ernie Banks is coming up, Hall of Famer, 500 home runs, and Manny comes out, lifts his mask, he's got a big smile on his face, and says, oh, you know, and then he goes back. That's it. That's that's the conference. (laughs) And the next pitch I throw, Ernie hits it into Lake Michigan. So I guess at that point I did know. So, I mean, the, the stories and, and really all you need when it comes down to, to telling the truth is that you only need a thread of truth. But baseball is so, so wonderful about the stories and, and the characters. And uh, you don't want to lose that. I mean, you can't let it get in the way of the ball game. But, uh, you know, it, it, baseball can be kind of a trundling game at times if you listen or watch it. And the stories kind of kind of flesh it out and, and kind of take you along uh, during the course of a ball game. And so uh, I'm fortunate, or I don't know, I guess I'm fortunate, I feel like I'm fortunate, that I, I have all this recall of stuff from my Little League days of all my experiences in baseball. And I, I wrote a book about it, A Pirate for Life, but... When I was broadcasting, uh, you know, the stories were important to me because it, it balances the other stuff. I mean, when you flash up on the screen, the percent, the probability, the percentage probability of a sacrifice fly, that turns me off a little bit because I can say, well, they've got to play deep enough where they can still make a throw to home plate, rather than the probability percentage of a sacrifice fly. I totally and the guys still got to get the ball up in the I air. Totally agree with you. So, so yeah, and and you got to know where you can play and still make a throw to home plate. I mean, you, you can you can say that very quickly without. Well, wait a minute. What are they talking about? Your probability percentage, or that had a probability percentage of hit uh, of eighty one percent of being hit or an out or the numbers uh, are are important in this day and age. I, yeah, absolutely. But let's have some balance to the stories too. So. 
you know, you've had two careers with the Pirates. One as a player and the second one as a broadcaster. Looking back at both of those moments, which are the moments that stand out most for you? No question. Having the chance to be a pitcher in the big leagues, there's no comparison. I, I love my broadcasting. But living the dream of being out there on a mound in a major league baseball game, uh, nothing, everything's secondary to that. Everything is secondary to that opportunity to find out if you're good enough to get a Henry Aaron out, a Willie Mays out, uh, uh, beat a Bob Gibson, which didn't happen very often, beat a Tom Seaver, which didn't happen very often. But I had the opportunity to find out if I was good enough to, to do that. And, to not uh, allow a hitter every once in the eighth I, inning of, a, of Game 7, to not allow a hitter through the eighth inning. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah. pretty oh amazing. Oh, my goodness. So, Lastly, as a player and a broadcaster, you've played and watched for some great pirate managers, Danny Murtaugh, Bill Verdon, Jim Leland, and Clint Hurdle. Clint Hurdle is one of the names we're hearing mentioned a lot here in New York. He's got some ties to the Mets. He played here as a possible replacement for the fired Mickey Calloway. What can you tell our audience about Clint's strong points and and, why he would make a good manager for the Mets if they went that direction? Well, Clint Hurdle is a baseball lifer, uh, so yeah, I think he would be an excellent choice. I mean, he's made, he's played in the major leagues, he's managed in the major leagues, he's been he's been on a, a team that had an incredible run in Colorado. Uh, he had a, a good run for three years in our playoff years uh, in Pittsburgh. He's he's great in the community. I, I mean, I, I've been with him uh, and heard him speak not just about baseball, about uh, about life uh, and philosophy. Uh, I think that he would make an outstanding uh, manager in New York. Yeah, he he is the connect. He gets it. Clint Hurdle gets it. And uh, you know, everybody said, "Well, what happened in Pittsburgh?" Well, our pitching blew up. Uh, our pitching was going to be strength this year, and so uh, you know, managers get hired to get fired. And so he is uh, he is available now. And if the Mets hired Clint Hurdle, uh, I think they would be better off for it. Interestingly enough, the the end of your broadcasting career was uh, pretty amazing. What the Pirates did for you, the mayor in, in Pittsburgh, you know, named it Steve Blast Day. And then I was also I, I was floored by this. I, I couldn't believe that it had not existed yet. On the night the Pirates held uh, for you, honoring your 60 years with the Pirates organization, the team announced that it will be establishing a Pirates Hall of Fame and that you will be a member of the 2020 inaugural class in recognition of your dedication to the organization. Given the fact that the Pittsburgh Pirates have 13 members in Cooperstown, how big of an honor is it for you to be in the inaugural class of the Pirates Hall of Fame? Well, when Greg Brown announced that, I I was absolutely floored. You know, uh, you can get uh, acknowledged along the way and maybe get gifts along the way. And and I did for 50 years of service, and uh, they had a uh, uh, a, a thing called... uh, uh, the pride, uh, the pride of the Pirates, and I got that. But to have my name put with Roberto Clemente and Honus Wagner and Bill Mazeroski, I mean, it's stunning, stunning. You know, I, I was a good journeyman pitcher, I think. Uh, but uh, it's, as I think, it's almost a little bit awkward. Uh, but I'm so flattered and be and honored to be mentioned with those guys. So you talk about a gift uh, when you're retiring after 60 years. Uh, it's something I couldn't have imagined, and it's so stunningly wonderful. Uh, I'm still trying to deal with it, and I will deal with it. But uh, uh, 
it, it's one of the things that make me think of why I'm so loyal to the Pirates after all these years when they gave me an opportunity to live my dream, and now this. Uh, it, it, uh, I have uh, lived a well, uh, well, <laughs> well-lived life, I guess is how they say it. I'm, I'm honored, absolutely honored. Awesome. And for those of us, uh, those of you in the audience, you can pick up a, a great book by our good friend, Eric Sherman and Steve Glass, A Pirate for Life. Steve, we appreciate you coming on with us so much tonight. And once again, you know, we, we loved hearing you on the Internet and, and, you know, over Sirius XM and, you know, a well-deserved honor. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll speak to you again because, you know, it's always good hearing those great baseball stories. Well, you know, the the great thing is, and thank you very much, some of those stories are actually true. (laughs) But I've enjoyed the visit, guys. Thanks so much. You got it. Have a great night. Steve Blass, a pirate for life.